재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 We are back and we are discussing the G7 summit that took place in Japan last week. Some of the issues that were discussed and agreed upon. We're also going to talk about President Pakane and her recent trip to Africa that actually coincided with the G summit. Also, uh, the historic visit of U.S. President Barack Obama to Hiroshima, of course, the site where the United States military dropped the world's first ever atomic bomb. So, A lot of stuff to discuss. Give us your opinions. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us Kakao Talk message by adding TBS EFM as a plus friend. We're going to be joined by a professor from Dongseo University very shortly uh, here in the studio. Once again, Hanguk University of Foreign Studies, Professor Hwang Jong-wook. Uh, professor Hwang, let's talk first about the president and we'll maybe get into more details as to um the trip and the coinciding of the G7 summit. But she did go to Africa. Um, it was a very long visit, 12-day African tour. And you, you, as you know, the political um, critics or opponents of the president will say, well, she usually scheduled these things when there's some kind of domestic political <laughs> controversy brewing. And in, in this case, it was that whole uh, hearings bill at the National Assembly right. and mm-hmm. issuing that veto from way overseas instead of right in the middle of the Blue House uh, and the outgoing 19th um, National Assembly and all of that. But just, I guess, at face value, what is the overall purpose of this uh, African visit and what was the significance of it? Well, the African visit seems to have really targeted the, uh, the, uh, the North Korea, especially since North Korea does have significant economic and military ties to a number of African nations. And it seems that, you know, uh, this visit has yielded some results. Uh, I think the, the North Korea will feel probably not the substantive uh, pressure from, you know, the, le- the lesser relationship with the African countries, but at least there might be some, you know, at least symbolic uh, gestures as these African nations go on with a similar sanctions against North Korea. Now, uh, joining us on the line from Tongsa University to share his thoughts on the issue, we have uh, international studies professor Sean O'Malley. Hello. Hello, Henry. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Professor, a similar question to you. Um, The South Korean president going to Africa on this, um, albeit very important trip, but coinciding at the same time as the G7 summit uh, being hosted just basically an hour's flight away from Seoul in Tokyo. Apparently, she was invited to the summit, but uh, they turned it down because of the timing of the African trip. And now there are some critics saying that, look, maybe you should have actually gone to Tokyo instead. Um, What do you make of that sort of, I guess, mini controversy in regards to the president deciding to go on the African tour rather than the uh, G7 summit? Well, uh, certainly her absence at G7 was rather conspicuous. And uh, the Africa trip, as you said, although it's important for Korean aid, uh, it's mostly a volunteer network, it's my understanding. So, you know, to bypass the G7, which is so important uh, to do the Africa trip, uh, did seem a little strange. Um, But they did ask, uh, and they did say, they did not receive a formal invitation Mm -hmm. from Japan and that's a that's a very important distinction, I think, uh, with the relations currently between uh, Korea and Japan and and the tensions there. So, it you know it, it makes sense if uh, she was not, or if the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, more directly, was not able to negotiate um, some sort of diplomatic understanding with her presence at the G7.
So there are a lot of those um, protocols and, and diplomatic subtleties of whether it was a formal request or uh, and exactly how she was going to be received. And, and you're saying, especially with the state of the bilateral relations with Seoul and Tokyo and still some of the outstanding tensions that remain, that uh, those are certainly decisive factors as to the calculations of the Blue House and deciding whether they're going to attend or not. Yeah, I, and I think and I think they should be. I, I think they have to be. Uh, they are symbolic, um, and of course, uh, Prime Minister Abe is not going to overtly invite President Park, worrying that she will say no. So he has to go through his foreign ministry and try to come to some sort of understanding. And if they can't get what they want, uh, then it's just not going to happen. And and both sides have a lot of symbolism here that needs to be taken into account. That being said, remember, this is, this is sort of the second time she's had a conspicuous absence. Remember, she did her Latin America tour, and that coincided with the first year of the Sewol, uh tragedy, the anniversary of that. So that also was a conspicuous absence, and um, it, it does seem a bit strange that, that some of her scheduling conflicts with some pretty major yeah. priorities. Yeah. It, the coincidences are are quite remarkable as they uh, have occurred over the past few years. Let's talk about the other uh, historic event that took place. President Barack Obama of the United States became the first sitting U.S. leader to visit Hiroshima, the site of the world's first nuclear bomb attack. Uh, as you well know, uh, back in the United States, uh, the domestic politics has been pretty expected the right uh, you've had statements uh, of criticizing him for um, going on an apology tour um, uh, people like Sarah Palin saying he's impugning the dignity and the honor of the greatest generation these World War II veterans what, what do you make of the visit to Hiroshima do you think that there was this implicit apologist undertone uh, no, I don't. I, you know, and President Obama said straight out that he, that he wasn't going to apologize, and, and he didn't. And uh, it, it does make sense for the uh, conservative right in the United States. They've made this accusation about him being an apologist before. Mm-hmm. It fits their narrative. But I, I think lost in the narrative, this is a very symbolic occasion. Uh, as an American, I'm very proud that he went uh, myself. Uh, but he was speaking, this is really a bookend to his uh, statements made in Prague at the beginning of his presidency, that he is looking for nuclear security around the world, he's looking for peace and freedom from nuclear weapons. And what's so, in some sense, I think very hypocritical of this president to make those remarks is the fact that he is uh, helping to plan a $1 trillion upgrade to the U.S. nuclear arsenal Mm. to make it more deadly than ever before. So there's plenty of red meat there for the conservative right right in the United States to appreciate, um, while not really coming down on him for making a statement that the world really should take stock of how dangerous nuclear weapons are, and that things like Hiroshima should really never happen again. Right. Uh, I want to bring in Professor Huang Jong-uk uh, into this conversation. Professor Huang, as far as the speech and the address, it was very anticipated uh, uh, that uh, President Obama gave in Hiroshima. Well, what was your overall view of it? 
Well, I mean, the fact that he expressed a deep sorrow for the all the dead that the caused by the nuclear attacks, I think, was fairly significant. Although one thing that uh, that did disappoint me a little bit was he was referring to the Korean victims for the first time, and that in itself might have been uh, was pretty significant. But at the same time, he was talking about thousands of Korean victims during the attacks when the actual number was probably closer to thirty or forty thousand. We don't exactly have the exact estimates. So hope, uh, perhaps maybe uh, you know a little bit of a research into the Korean. Uh, the magnitude of the, the tragedy might have been a little better. Right, and Professor O'Malley, we are, of course, all living here in South Korea, so there is going to be a, a bit of a prism in, in, the, in the way we view uh, President Obama's visit, uh, namely uh, the, the perspective of how he addressed the Korean victims and uh, uh, how it was made, much was made in the Korean media about how he visited Hiroshima uh, Peace Memorial Park, uh, but he did not uh, go to a separate memorial stone for Korean victims. Um, it, is it something that you feel is maybe a mountain being made out of a molehill or are there legitimate concerns in terms of how Korean diplomacy uh, did not necessarily succeed in that endeavor? Well, I, I think uh, a mountain could have been made if President Park had gone to the G7 summit mm. and, and then uh, did not have some form of concession of President Obama visiting the Korean Memorial Stone. But uh, to do that under the, the situation uh, that was presented to him, it would have been very strange, I think, diplomatically uh, for him to take time out to go pay respects only to um, a separate memorial stone, whether it would have been for uh, Koreans or, or anybody else right. uh, who lost their lives in Hiroshima. I think it would have been uh, rather strange. And it didn't fit the, the president's narrative that, that he was saying, basically, uh, this is regrettable for all victims and should never happen again. Um, so I think, his, I think his heart was probably in the right place. Uh, and I think diplomatically, uh, there was really no way for him to, to break away and do something special for Korea. I think it would have been uh, nice, and I think it would have been um, politically astute of him and of President Park to try and get him to make a stopover in Korea, either mm -hmm. before or after the G7 summit, uh, to make some form of, of statement here to recognize that, yes, uh, some, somewhere near 10% of all victims at Hiroshima were Korean. Um, and, he, and he probably could have pulled something like that off with a simple stopover. Professor Huang, as, as someone who obviously uh, knows what's being stated in Korean media and what analysts here are saying, um, what Professor Omali is describing from the State Department, from the U.S. diplomat's point of view, is I, I guess it, it makes sense from, from the American perspective of logistics and, and, and ha that kind of the optics of going separately into uh, looking into uh, solely going into another memorial altar. But uh, again, from the Korean diplomatic point of view, I suppose here it does look like a public a bit of a loss of face right perhaps but i guess one difficulty i might want to raise is that you know p potentially uh, getting president obama to go to a separate memorial for korean victims actually means that he might 
um, you know, unintentionally weighed into yet yet another Korean uh, Japanese historical dispute, and that's the last thing that the U.S. government wants to do. And you know, Korean victims of uh, the nuclear attacks uh, has been a kind of a contentious issue between Korea and Japan as well, because Japanese have been providing only for its own nationals who have died, and the Korean Korean victims have been largely been left out. So uh, it is quite understandable why the U.S. government would like to stay away from that dispute. Professor O'Malley, overall, uh, Japan, in terms of what their agenda was, their objectives, uh, do you think uh, as hosts of this uh, G7 summit uh, they did accomplish what they set out to? Um, I don't really think so. Uh, In that sense, I think it was probably a little disappointing for uh, the Japanese delegation, unless you uh, want to consider this from a a domestic viewpoint. There is the idea out there in the Japanese media that the G7 provided Prime Minister Abe a way to uh, take the first step towards not implementing a consumption tax uh, that is supposed to go into effect uh, next year, in April of next year. And if you if you look at that prism, he had, he had kept complaining and, and gave a presentation, apparently, to the other leaders that the world is in economic crisis mode. Um, and the rest of the leaders did not buy that argument. Uh, they said, yes, uh, things are, are depressed. And they said there's downside risks, global downside risks. But they did not use the word crisis. And in that sense, uh, I think he didn't really get what he wanted uh, from his viewpoint. And I think it's important to note that that if we look at this domestic perspective for Prime Minister Abe, that uh, the Japan Times did a survey after the summit that said 52% of Japanese agreed with the other leaders of the G7 that there's not Hmm. really an economic crisis, uh, that there are downside risks. So I'm not quite sure that... uh, the prime minister managed to play the cards properly uh, that he was dealt to get what he wanted. And just briefly, uh, just to get your thoughts, because, again, there's been criticism coming from from the right uh, against Obama on this. The fact that Abe did not decide to reciprocate and say, I'm going to go visit Pearl Harbor. Was that a big deal? Well, I, I, think, I think it's a big deal for the right. Uh, it's something for them to talk about and have more talking points. But I don't think for the average American uh, that that is overly important at this stage. I don't think the, the Americans, the average American, I don't think really views this as an apology by President Obama. And therefore, to try and get an apology from Prime Minister Abe or a visit to Pearl Harbor uh, would be an overstep, I think. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it, it damages the relations in any way. I don't think anybody finds it strange. I think symbolically it would be uh, significant in the future if a Japanese leader did go to Pearl Harbor and say some words, but uh, uh, that might take a a little more while in coming. And uh, we've been jumping around with a bunch of different issues here, but uh, the final point on this, Professor, is uh, the beginning of this Asian tour. Obama visited uh, Vietnam, Hanoi. Um, and the historic, of course, he's just, um, there's a lot of history being made on this trip, but he did, did dis, um, announce a complete end to the arms embargo on Vietnam. Uh, not just historic, but very symbolic, especially of those of a generation that do vividly remember the Vietnam War. Uh, just, I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, again, another uh, symbolic visit, and you're right, there, there was history throughout this, this presidential trip. 
Um, I think as far as Vietnam's concerned, you know, obviously the, the president had stated that in his view it was one more evolutionary step in the normalization of relations. Um, but this is obviously, uh, very transparently, a, a strategic uh, consideration uh, worried about China's uh, incursions into the South China Sea. And again, this is an example of the United States cozying up to a government with a very poor human rights record, uh, even when President Obama visited. I mean, mm. Facebook was shut down. There are hundreds of political prisoners uh, still being held. Uh, BBC journalists lost their credentials while, while he visited. Um, you know, this is a government that doesn't have a high respect for human rights at the current time, but the strategic uh, necessity to have a partner uh, on the mainland in Southeast Asia, and Vietnam in particular being that partner, uh, President Obama felt it was time uh, to end the, the arms embargo. That being said, he I'm sure in his mind he would like it to uh, be acknowledged that if you accept arms from the United States, there are international laws and domestic laws that must, must be respected, and those arms cannot be used um, to oppress anybody's human rights. But in, in reality, uh, those kind of things are always hard to check and verify. So uh, I'm happy he went to Vietnam. Uh, I'm not quite sure that this is the time to end the arms embargo, mm. but from the American government perspective, uh, I certainly see the strategic choice they're making. All right. We will leave it there. Professor O'Malley, thank you very much for joining us once again. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Good night. Professor Sean O'Malley from Tongsa University. Uh, we want to uh, dedicate the remaining minutes of our time with Professor Huang. Uh, as you heard the discussion, Professor, we've been talking about this for a number of years now, pretty much as long as this program has been in existence. But this so-called pivot to Asia and how uh, once uh, President Barack Obama was inaugurated, it signaled a, a marked shift of U.S. foreign policy towards prioritizing events in Asia, uh, Southeast Asia, Northeast Asia, and of course, uh, the Korean Peninsula. Um, how would you assess this uh, so-called pivot so far? Well, it seems that things are getting a little more confrontational with China. I think the, the major point about the Asian pivot was the recognition that China was actually becoming the serious challenger, not in the regional sense, but in the international sense. And the United States needs to pay a little more attention uh, attention to China. And hopefully, you know, it, and things are not all confrontational in the sense that you know, there ha haven't been direct military skirmishes between China and uh, uh, China. United States, except for in a few uh, accidents here and there, so, uh, but at the same time, it seems that you know, uh, as we have seen in the, the discussion so far, uh, the both sides are maneuvering, making postures, making statements. So uh, it does raise some concern that you know things could get more confrontational in the coming years. Right, and there are of course events uh, beyond the control of uh, foreign policy makers in terms of let's say something happens in Syria and Iraq and resources and human capital have to be kind of diverted there as well. So uh, I suppose people who have expected maybe even a more stronger pivot uh, may have not seen what they have expected over the past uh, seven years or so. It does just a quick point here, though. It does really highlight the fact that elections are very important, aren't they? Because uh, you have um, people running in the United States, someone like Hillary Clinton, who maybe people say is a little bit more hawkish than Obama, but essentially would not have a drastic departure. On the other hand, you might have another candidate who 
could be a complete wild card. You do not know exactly what's going to happen. And that is why a lot of people are very jittery as to the future of how things will be in Asia, right? Right. I mean, uh, President Obama actually t- appear- apparently talked to other G7 leaders about, you know, the other candidates, as you mentioned, you know, Donald Trump and why other leaders are worried about that. At the same time, kind of the interesting is that the Republican Party tends to be a little more hawkish, but Donald Trump actually has uh, uh, talked, you know, at least words-wise, has been a little more isolationist. So who knows exactly what, if he wins, what his administration will look like. And that really is a concern, is what exactly is going to happen. And it is... Certainly uncertain times. It was uh, definitely an important meeting, as we said, uh, as important as in decades past. Well, uh, that still is something to debate, perhaps. But Professor Huang, as always, appreciate all your analysis and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much.